0: Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.
1: So we have to be careful with our content online marketing. We, we had a lot of banner ads turned down because of the content. So we really had to craft our marketing so that it was palatable.
0: Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to market a product that has a taboo topic, the results of spending $25,000 to boost a viral Facebook video, and how much of your advertising budget should be devoted to testing. Today I'm joined by Bobby Edwards from Squatty Potty. Squatty Potty is the original toilet stool designed and made in the USA to give you the perfect posture for optimal elimination. It was started in 2011 and based out of St. George, Utah. Welcome Bobby. Hi Felix. Hey, so um, in my opinion, the most memorable Shark Tank appearance is the Squatty Potty. So we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Talk to us a little more about uh, how this idea came about. Like, where did the idea behind the original toilet stool come from?
1: Sure. So, you know, first of all, I'm really excited to be here, too. I know early on, you know, this was built just with my family and myself, just trying to figure things out. And I know resources out there um it's it's can be difficult to find but you know mm-hmm. i think just hearing people's experiences and and making things happen is what you know really helped us grow and 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 solve our problems so thanks for having us so um anyway i wanted to say you know they say necessity is the mother of all invention and my mother was constipated and chronically constipated and uh, she came across a solution uh which was uh fixing her posture And at first she started using a, uh, a stool, just a regular stool to, you know, put in front of her toilet to help her poop. (laughs) And, and, uh, that worked, it was great, but it wasn't perfect. So, uh, she kind of enlisted in me. I was doing some design classes and, um, you know, uh, some CAD work. She goes, can you, can, can you do make design me a stool that does this and this and this and, you know, and, um, she just wanted to improve upon the posture and technique <laughs> of her poop stool. So I, we, we thought about it. We went, you know, went to the bathroom and measured around the toilet, took some measurements, and kind of put some phone books and some paint cans and different things in front of the toilet to try and get the right height and the right width, and make it as 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 like you know the, the least intrusive as as possible by allowing it to kind of tuck away and hide under the toilet when you're not using it. So those were the kind of the things that she wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it was a few different prototypes that we finally came upon. The one that she liked worked best, and uh, um, we had it made in a wood shop next door, and a friend of mine had a CNC machine, and he zipped it out and cut it out, and we screwed it together, and voila, we had the the first squatty potty.
0: Nice. So now you have the first one. What made you connect the dots and realize that other people might want this and might want it enough to, to pay for it?
1: That's a good question. So... We weren't the first ones to talk about toilet posture. There'd been a lot of uh, talk about it online, but there was nothing out there to help you achieve that. So uh, we saw the opportunity, but we weren't certain about it, right? It still seemed kind of wackadoodly and kind of crazy that uh, that you know people would be searching for this thing. So with just a little bit of effort, we st- we did some research. First of all, I guess my mo- I guess what really kind of uh, made the light gone in my head as my mom insisted that she make you know a couple dozen more to give away to friends and family because it again this really had changed her life she was suffering and this was the only thing out there that really helped her eliminate and uh, so she <laughs> got the crazy idea to give away squatty potties as christmas gifts in 2010 and uh so we got made you know made a half a dozen painted them all up for her and you know She was happy and she started just giving, she gave them away and feedback started coming in and it was all, of course, very positive people that had issues, really liked it. You know, they shared their stories with my mom and, and then from that word of mouth spread that, that Judy had this, uh, poop stool and, uh, you know, it was word of mouth. And, you know, at some days we'd get seven, uh, seven calls, you know, one day we got like seven phone calls. And I go, mom, this is something that we really need to look into. And let's let's kind of let's take the plunge and, and um make it happen. So we um were inspired by all the you know kind of direct to consumer boutique band- brands that were kind of popping up around that time. Not there was nothing really big, but um, you know, you could see there was one brand that we were following, it was called Aura Brush, and it was a tongue brush and they had did some unique videos and they had kind of done some unique online marketing and they had a, a website built and it was just one product. It was a, pr- a, t- a brush for your tongue that had some unique features to it. And, uh, I just kind of emulated them. I thought this is a great, br- you know, they, they, they have some good content that's kind of funny and educational. And so that's kind of where we based squatting potty upon was the, uh, was, another, was just emulating other brands. Right. And, uh, with a little help from them which i think a lot of people do you know you find something you like and you if you uh you know if it's successful you copy it <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's what we did but it was none of us were really had a lot of knowledge before it, my one of my first jobs was i was a copywriter at fox television and then i moved into also producing websites for television shows so i had some e- e- you know not e-commerce but some online experience and knew the value of creating a, a powerful website that was rich with keywords and in, in content that people were searching for. So we were the first website out there, the first in this category, and people were looking for it. So we put a simple website together, of course made it with e-commerce capabilities, and um, it grew, like within the first few months, we started you know, getting 10, 15 orders a day. And that was pretty exciting. Um, without doing any publicity or anything, without putting much money, any money into advertising, it was just from people searching for us. And then, um, and then early on, what we did as well is we sent out squatty potties to influencers. We reached out to Paleo, Bob, you know, Paleo um, uh, mommy bloggers, uh, health and alternative health writers, anyone in our category, yoga. Uh, it was kind of low hanging fruit of alternative health world. And we sent squatty potties to the influential people in the marketplace. And just with a simple note, I said, here's the squatty potty. This is what it did for my mother. This is what it does. You know, anatomically, we're designed to squat and we're sitting and hit this thing, you know, will help you eliminate better by correcting your posture. And uh, they started writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we started getting, you know, I, I send it to anyone with an audience. Like, I didn't discriminate. If they had, you know, 150 people listening to them, that's a chance to sell a squatty potty, and you know, I just sent it to everyone because I, 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 I could tell early on that it was something that people like to talk about because of its nature. Yeah, you know, when the, poop has kind of had a renaissance recently with you know as being an interesting topic, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so sure enough, people started writing about the squatty potty, and it grew from there. And then you know, a couple months later, we got a call from Doctor Oz, and then we started getting you know larger hits on um, from major health sites, you know, WebMD and NPR, and it just you know it grew from that grassroots um, outreach of reaching out to influencers.
0: Yeah, I was going. To, so you said a bunch of interesting things there. I definitely want to unpack. One of the ones I want to start with was about the word of mouth and the willingness and excitement for people to talk about this product because. seemingly, if you look on it from the outside, if someone's never been in this industry, doesn't have a product like this, it seems like a difficult industry to break into because it could be kind of seen as, I guess, taboo. You know, like you are saying, it's a renaissance. People are much more willing to talk about these days, but it still has the potential to be an embarrassing topic that might kind of, I guess, halt word of mouth or make it harder for you to market. You didn't experience any of that at all? It seemed like it was more of a benefit than a negative.
1: Well, so it's both. It's a double-edged sword. So, so we have to be careful with our content online marketing. We, we had a lot of banner ads turned down because of the content. So we really had to craft our marketing so that it was palatable. And it's tricky, but it can be done, right? So you notice I'm using the word elimination or mm. posture and toilet posture and I'm not, you know, <laughs> you use words that are more palatable. So that kind of, we had to refine that in the very early days to make it so that we were able to reach out to people in a way they could, could, could stomach. But then once you, get, you know, once you start to get some credibility, and, and, and um, then you can start to be a little more open. But in the early days we did, it was difficult. You know, It was taboo, and it still is for many people. But, you know, the conversation is changing around uh, elimination and and how important it is for your overall health. And Squatty Potty has been part of that conversation for so many people. So we've been lucky in that regard that we've been able to kind of change the way people feel about it and make it so that it's something that's from something that's got, you know, that was very embarrassing for many people. But as soon as we've, you know... (laughs) we've been able to, to kind of change a lot of people's minds about that and make it something that's cool and fun and uh, important. So, um, you know, we've been able to change that, but the, yeah, it was, um, it was early, it was difficult early on, especially with a lot of the banner advertising that we were t- attempting to put out there. Um, so, um, we, we, we've, we've, um, we've been able to dance around that and, and now change people's minds and we've got a lot of credibility so they're allowing us to put more and more just I wouldn't say it's edgy it's just real, realistic and kind of you know Colloquial stuff that people are talking about when they talk about poop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is definitely an issue that I think a lot of listeners have, which is when they have a product that is, you know, maybe well, yours is definitely, of course, legal, but people are sometimes producing products that are maybe not necessarily barely legal, but that are, you know, I think the vaping industry is going through something like this, where it's just harder to to advertise online. And for you, it was just a matter of changing the words, changing the terms that made a difference between them accepting versus rejecting an ad.
1: Yeah. And then it was getting other people to talk about it for us. So we didn't have to say the things that we wanted to say, right? We would, we would get our influencers to say what we wanted them to say. We didn't really get them. We would, you know, it, it just happened. So, mm-hmm. so you, you find out that you can, you know, you know, for instance, if we, we have to be careful also, and this can be a common problem out there when referencing disease, right. Or, or stuff that, the, that might, we might get in trouble with the FDA or mm-hmm. FTC, So, um, but luckily in, in, in the, in the whole, you know, process, we've gotten other people to say those things for us. Not that we, I guess we shouldn't say we got them. They just do. They're just so evangelical about their experience with squatty Potty, They just talk Mm -hmm. about it. So a lot of that credibility has come from uh, from the influencer marketing that we've done.
0: Yeah, influencer marketing. It, it sounds like you guys got a much earlier head start on it than I guess the more uh, the popular term influencer marketing probably came around after you guys were already doing this.
1: Influencer marketing until after three years of being in Squatty Potty, <laughs> and I I just figured out that that's what we were doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, how did you go about doing this? Because like you are saying no matter how small of an audience they have they had 150 readers you were willing to you know shell out a free product to them uh, and I think a lot of times around influencer marketing these days there's so many numbers attached to where you want to measure what's the ROI of doing this of sending a, a product to those influencers look at their engagement let's look at their number of followers before we can decide if it's worth working with them or not you didn't take that approach at all you would send it to anybody and everybody was that uh, w- would you do that the same way this time around, if you went back and did all over again, would you still take that same approach?
1: Yes, because it's not, you can't just look at the single, um, it's kind of a lifetime value of, 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 of um, reaching out to that influencer, because that influencer, even though you may lose money on that first touch, their second or third touch is where you get the money and you, you gain your money back, right? Because it's something that people do talk about and share, we knew that. Uh, we, we could tell that early on because of the way it grew grassroots with us working out of our garage and shipping them to family and friends and then their friends of friends and friends and friends of friends, friends, friends. I can see this is something that people would talk about. So if you reach one person and it works for them, they're going to tell because it, it it's just such a unique product, right? The Squatty Potty was. So, um yeah, we were – we, and, you know, we created this category, so I think that helped us a lot in mm-hmm. – i um, being somebody that was so unique that people wanted to talk about something that was new. But no, it's important. You can't just look at that single touch with that single influencer as being your ROI. You've got to realize that, that you know it, it, it snowballs and it creates a, a, a income that's that's longer lasting than the single purchase
0: yeah I think you hit on something very important, which is that if you have a product if you have a messaging or a brand that is unique and shareable in a way where people like and enjoy talking about it, then that will stretch out your marketing dollars way more than the initial investment of you know sending out a product to an influencer because they're probably going to keep on talking about it or in the community will probably keep on talking about it beyond that first time that they write about it or first time they post it on Instagram or wherever they're they're doing it um, now speaking of those avenues which which methods work best for you was it going through through the the blogging route or which medium was most effective for a product like this
1: yeah so initially it was um it was what was more most effective is getting the bloggers to write the content for us that we could share on social media right so we went to instead of going straight to social media with our own message we went to social media with the message of others
0: Mm.
1: that was important
0: why is that? Why did you decide to get others to speak for you rather than, uh, you know, coming from you directly? Um, it
1: seems it, it seems that people convert better with third party content, um, meaning they hear it instead of coming direct from the, the company. It comes from you know, like a mommy blogger or you know a paleo a, a paleo professional um, or somebody they might recognize from their niche or their world. And it seems to be more influential and, 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 more, and it converts better.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Now, how do you work with the, these bloggers? Is it just like, hey, we have a product that we think you'd like, you send it to them, and then yeah. hope, kind of cross your fingers and hope that they write something positive?
1: Pretty much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was there any follow-up needed usually? or? So many of
1: them are now wanting to, you know, to get paid, but, it, but you, can, you can negotiate with all of them as well. And if they really like your product, you're, you're in a space where you can really negotiate because they're they wanting to provide something that's unique for their readers as well. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, we were lucky because our product was so unique. And so it was a secret. It was something that wasn't well known. So um, if you're in that industry where you, you have a solution that's not, um, you know, mainstream or that's not super well known, promote it because people will be your biggest promoters. Um, rather than going out and trying to explain to them yourself, which does work, right? You can create content that converts, but, um, it seemed like earlier on, early on when we would post something, you know, on Facebook or, or, you know, which is what we've used mostly is Facebook, um, and it was, it would convert better when it came from a third party source. And then you target that kind of niche, you target that ad for, for the, to that f- followers, um, demographic.
0: Mm, so you were you had some influencer write about your your product. You share their product, then you're like boosting it or something, targeting at their the demographic that that influencer represents. Ah, oh, that's a great idea.
1: A lot of those bloggers will work as an affiliate. so if if you want to set them up as an affiliate, you know they can get somewhere between five and ten percent of the sales from that. you know, So we've done that. Um, sometimes we just pay for a post outright. Um, We do everything.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. Um, so taking us back to one of the things you said earlier, which was about how you didn't really know what, how to do this, but you emulated other brands. I think that that's a great approach because you don't have to you know, reinvent the wheel. You can, it's not necessarily take shortcuts, but you can certainly boost your learning curve by just taking what already works and running with it. I think the this follow-up question to that for a lot of people that decide to go this route is, how do I know which brands to emulate? How do I know which ones are actually... Not necessarily just doing it right, but doing it right and that will also work for me. How did you how did you think through this process?
1: I you know, it was just what I personally, what my personal taste liked. I kind of used my inner instinct and inner knowing to go, I like this brand. I'm interested in what they're producing. It's not necessarily copying, you know, you don't we didn't you never copy word for word what they're doing. It's just mm-hmm. going, this style I like. Look at how they've kind of arranged this post and their messaging and and let's see what we can do and and, and, and craft that to to match our brand. So it, I just used what I what I personally liked.
0: hmm Yeah, it makes sense. And yeah. you you mentioned that at first it was all organic traffic that was coming to the site. Were you creating content or something? How were people discovering the the site through through just like searching for it? like what were they not say what were they searching for? But how did they go from searching to landing on your site that was selling a product?
1: Um, so they would either have encountered us initially through we did we actually did do some banner ads early on. They used to convert a lot better um, in the early days. They're not converting so well now. So we've kind of held back on those, but um, we do so people generally found us through um, a, a blog a blog post, um, a news post, and later on it became like you know major media hits like NPR and Huffington Post and you know men's health.
0: mm-hmm. And what about the content that you are putting together on your site? Because I think a lot of times when people are trying to go the content marketing route, trying to build up their, their kind of SEO for their site, they run into this issue where they're like, you know, I don't know what to create, but I mean, I think you're a great example for this because how much can you really write? How much content can you really create around a topic like this? So talk to us about your, your I guess, creative process to, to create content for your brand.
1: Yeah. So well, we're, 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 we're going through kind of a renaissance now where we've, we've grown to a space where we're, we're, we, we're actually creating a studio in our, in our, in our headquarters where we're going to create content directly from our headquarters. So that's where we are in two months. We'll start, you know, we're, we we've, we're opening a full, we, we have a full on, you know, audio, vid, vid, audio, video suite, um, hired a full-time videographer, copywriter, and we're going to, you know, we're going to create our own content and, and promote it on, you know, through social media and through uh, YouTube and other, you know, uh, like Chive and the other sites. You know, we, we, we do paid content on a lot of sites. So, um, and, but mostly Facebook. Uh, you know, Facebook is about 70% of our budget right now. And that's, but that's Facebook is changing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but early on, it was really just reaching out. You know, just just promoting um, on through other other sites. So if I, so if you know, I would buy I would buy banner ads on um, on other you know sites that were reached our demographic as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Now nowadays, especially since you are investing so heavily in the content side with creating the studio, how do you? or how will you think about? what kind of content to create these days like what's your what do you, sure. what, what, do you what kind of research you do what kind of uh, thought or thinking do you go through to determine let's create this piece or let's create that piece
1: there's 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 lots of different options here you know if we we're releasing new products so of course we'll do interesting videos about the features and benefits of the new products but it's not just about squatty potty it's also about pooping it's also about Yoga. It's about outdoor recreation, lifestyle, right? Reaching the people that's showing the Squatty Potty is a lifestyle brand because it's not just, um, about, you know, a a stool around your toilet. It's about feeling better, being active, Mm -hmm. uh, making choices in your life that make you healthier and happier and all about total gut health. So, you know, we're going to have, uh, nutritionists on. We're going to have, um, Yoga instructors we're gonna have you know all these different guest spots with with different influencers that um, might be interested that might you know be of interest to our to our customers
0: gotcha now speaking of content creating. Uh, especially on on YouTube. I wanna talk to you about your magical pooping unicorn video. So now this video, whenever I see it posted anywhere, I always see in the comments where someone says, dang it, they got me to watch this entire commercial because it's funny that it's essentially a commercial, but it's not, doesn't seem like one right off the bat. So it's like a two and a half minute video with a magical pooping unicorn is only way I can describe it. Has 30 million views. So of course, lots of virality. Now, what way? How did you come up with an idea for this this video?
1: So yeah, so actually, combined views on Facebook and YouTube, it has 140 million views. So wow. it
0: <laughs>
1: it's been seen quite a few times. And and by the way, Facebook is where most people are watching video now. Mm-hmm. Oh, much it's much more shareable than YouTube. So um, so yeah um it was pitched to us. We, you know, <laughs> we had been searching. I, we had tried, attempted to make some content that would have some virility to it in house. And it didn't ever really work. And a lot of that content never made it out of the ed- editing room floor. Cause I, if it was, if it wasn't good or, or, you know, good enough to, for our brand, I didn't want to release it. So we went to this a production company and they had done some other viral videos that we thought were funny. And, um, I said, we're squatty potty. And they're like, oh, we love your stuff. We like, we, we think you're great. Let's, let's see what we can do. And I said, good. I'm glad you know who we are. Um, and they started, And they, and you know, a few weeks later they came, they came to us with several ideas. They had four or five different ideas. And one of them was the pooping unicorn.
0: And what made you choose that one?
1: <laughs> it was the most interesting. It was, I was more, no more curious about that one than any other one. Of course, the rest of the team or the rest of the um, you know, investors, they weren't really excited about the mm. unicorn. <laughs> but um, but we did it anyway. So I, I think I, it was just curiosity more than anything. I thought it was funny. I thought that it was a great way of talking about poop without showing poop, right? We used the euphemism of ice cream. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of funny. Unicorns were pretty popular. There still are, but extremely popular. You know, two years ago when we when, when I think that's why we went with the unicorn. Um, and then, you know, rainbow colored ice cream and the prince, and it just all kind of the, you know, the using the ice cream was something that was pitched originally. And then it became rainbow ice cream from a unicorn. And then, you know, it grew from there. So it was just, it was actually something that was pitched to me. And again, it was one of those things where you go, uh, personally, I'm curious about this and let's see. And, and you'd kind of just take a, you, um, it's all a gamble though. You know, you never know. It's not something that you can always go, oh, I'm going to go create a viral video today. You know, I mean, you look at the last week's viral video, which was that guy that was doing a, you know, a BBC interview and his kids came into the room and you know, it's such a simple video. And like now it's got millions of, you know, a billion views or something like that. It's just, it's so, you know, but you just kind of have to follow your instinct and that's, you know, your inner knowing, your, your, you know what's best for your brand, and if it feels right, do it. And that's, you know, it was a, it was a hard decision because it, at the time it was expensive. But um, it was definitely a gamble, and we're glad we took it.
0: Now, you said something interesting there about how you know it deep inside what's the right thing to do, what matches up with your brand, what would resonate with your brand. I think that's very true, and I think a lot of times, especially when you don't have the success yet, you don't have a track record yet, it's very easy to doubt yourself and second-guess yourself. Did you ever have a time in your life where you knew deep down inside what the right thing was to do, but you 2nd guess yourself and then decided to go a different way anyway?
1: Yeah, so it was the unicorn video. So initially they pitched it to us, um we were doing a um a follow up to shark tank and they wanted to cre- they wanted to film us creating a video um and um we couldn't come to a consensus on the video content for the spot and so we decided not to do the unicorn video mm-hmm. and uh we did another video and i was i felt i i just it was not my decision alone i you know i i'm not going to say it was you know we should, we should. Well, we should have done the video, video unicorn video first, but we didn't. We did something else, and it wasn't that great. And I'm like, we need to do the unicorn video. So one time, one day, my my dad came in my office and he goes, "How do you feel about doing the unicorn video?" I said, "Yes, we need to do the unicorn video." So initially, we should have, you know, and we should have done it in the first place because then we, we would have got all this additional publicity mm-hmm. with Shark. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it all worked out to be fine in the end, but it was something that initially I, you know, I went against my inner knowing and, uh, and it, it, it was, a, it ended up the first, that video that we ended up doing ended up just being a total disaster.
0: Hmm. Now, did you do any, did you have to do anything early on to get traction, to get that Unicorn video to, to go viral? Did you have to do anything to help kind of get it going along?
1: We had some, we had, we, we worked with some YouTube, YouTubers, some influencer some, you know, some YouTube influencers, um, to help talk about it. Um, but for what, for what it did, we, 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 we started out with about $25,000 to boost the, uh, spot. Right. And with that, it went viral. So, um, and, you know, to get, you know, 30 million views for that, for, for, you know, um, $25,000 is pretty cheap actually.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. Uh but you probably didn't know that at that time, right? Did it seem like a pretty big investment just to pour into promoting one video?
1: Yeah, the company that we worked to help promote it though, they're like well, you need to spend $150,000 or at least have it budgeted to to, you know, make it happen. So we didn't uh, we didn't spend that off all right away. So, um but you know you do need to promote it. You need to pay to promote it. It's um it's the way it is, you know, you, you, you promote it on Facebook, you promote it on YouTube, you promote it with influencers, and, and that helps boost your, your you know, viral,
0: uh, mm-hmm. viral. And did you have to spend Frality. all, I don't going to pronounce it either. <laughs> now, if you had to, did you have to spend all 25,000 or was there a certain point where like this is taking off on its own, let's just pull back on the budget?
1: Um, so we spent that. In the you know in the first few months and then we kind of held held off on the spend and now now we're still though promoting that video um, through a spend campaign
0: mm.
1: it, two years later though but it still converts incredibly well so it's it's one of a you know it's worth it.
0: Right, makes sense. Now, earlier you were talking about how your how Facebook is the go to place now where people watch videos, and of course, where advertisers and brands should also go because you said was 140 million views total, so 110 million of those. Uh, it has been on Facebook and the 30 million on YouTube. Now, do you approach Facebook video differently than you approach YouTube video? Or do you see a difference there between the audience and the kind of content that resonates with them?
1: We, we still promote, you know, we still test though. You still, you still try and find people that haven't seen it. Right. So it's a continual, um, test. It's, it, I mean, it's something that we review and monitor every week. Um, if not, you know, more than that. But it, it's not like we just throw it out there and and, uh, and 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 don't adjust or don't review. It's something that you have to constantly tweak. So, but we do use, um, we do use, you know, we do tweak a lot and, and, and review and tweak and look. And the data is always there. And uh, you know, we when we then we test. It's kind of that 80-20, right? You tweak, you test with twenty percent. Um, of your budget, you use twenty percent of your budget to, to continually test. <laughs>
0: mm. Now, for a a campaign this large, you know most people are, that are listening aren't don't ever plan to spend twenty five thousand dollars overall on their, on their online advertising, especially when it comes to like, let's say Facebook ads. Now you're spending all this kind of cash on essentially, you know, a couple of posts, a couple of videos. What's, uh, you don't want to give us exact details, but like, how do you begin to, to target and set up all of, I'm assuming multiple campaigns and all this test and everything, how do you manage all of, all of this, uh, kind of large advertising budget?
1: So we, um, We've, we've, we've hired an e-commerce specialist, um, to analyze the data and put it all together. Um, so they work internally for Squatty Potty. Um, otherwise there are people out there that will help manage and, 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 and attribute your spend for you. Um, initially they'll charge anywhere from about 10% of the, of the spend, um, to, to do that. So there are several people out there. Um, that will help you with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about Shark Tank. So, you again, like I was saying v- at the very beginning of the podcast, one of the more memorable uh, contestants on the show. Talk to us about your experience. What did you come into the show looking for, and what did you end up leaving with?
1: Sure. So, yeah, so Shark Tank was definitely an amazing you know platform for us to talk about our product, to share with, you know, my mother and I went on. We got to share the story of her constipation and how this was the solution. And, and, uh, luckily, um, you know, we had a good experience on that show. It was definitely extremely scary. Like, you know, it's uh-huh. one of the most frightening things I've ever done. <laughs> um, if not the single most frightening thing I've ever done. Um, because you don't know how they're going to respond. And it was still early on. I mean, you know, you, you, you have this thing that is very valuable to you, and you want to protect it, and you don't like people talking negatively about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we had, we had done several, you know, quite, quite well online uh, before Shark Tank. And I had traveled the country, to, you know, from Target to Home Depot, Bed Bath & Beyond, trying to get this product in stores, and was unsuccessful. We we couldn't get it anywhere, you know. No, with even with six million dollars in sales, nobody was putting it on their shelves. So really, I could see that we needed something big like Shark Tank to help us get do that, and it did. It, that's what it, 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 Shark, Tank, Shark Tank opened up retail, uh, retail, you know, brick-and-mortar retail sto- stores for us.
0: Was it just because they saw you on there? Was it through the connections that you made? What was it? Well, you know, the,
1: the the publicity and and you know the reach that you get from Shark Tank is huge. It's incredibly valuable, and anyone you know uh, would be a fool not to go, not to do that because it's it's so valuable. It's worth millions of dollars in the long run. What what you get from going on Shark Tank?
0: Mm. Now, how did you guys get on? What was the, your, I guess, um, application process like?
1: Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I did. We went online, went to SharkTank.com, and they have want to be on the show, and I clicked on it and filled it out, and then <laughs> I got contacted.
0: <laughs> what was the timeline? between when you first applied and when you went to record the show
1: so you don't feel like actually what was funny is the first year um we got turned down so we actually went through the entire process they called us we made the video we got further along and you know got called back and then we thought we were gonna go on the show and last minute one of the one of the executives said you know i don't want this ridiculous product on our show Mm. it's you know we're abc we're a family network and This is a pooping product and that makes no sense and we're not going to put it on. So we got, we went all through that. We thought we got all the, almost all the way through and then got turned down. And then the next year, the same, our same, when you get, third
0: time that you're applying?
1: This was the second time. So the the first year we got turned down. The second year, the, one of the, you know, producers that we were working with the year before called me and said, I think we can get you on, um, let's, let's try it again because that individual has left the show. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so we did. And so she kind of held our hand all the way through and got us on. So, but we auditioned in, uh, I'm sorry, we, we just applied from going on the, on the um, website.
0: So talk to us about these steps. So you apply just through some application, you fill out some information online and then they, they move you on to the next round. That's when you create a, a video.
1: Yes. So you apply online and then they go, okay, we want to learn more about you and see you on television, make a video. So we made a video.
0: What What do you, what did they give you any guidance on what that video should be about?
1: They don't, they just say, you know, the they, 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 there are samples of videos that have been done. So it's basically a, maybe kind of like a small Kickstarter video about your product or about you that features you so they can see how you are on television. After the video, they, um, that after that process, then they then they send you this this like I don't know 500 page packet of of uh, application papers that are everything about you. <laughs> so it's pretty arduous the process of getting on. And then you know then they either say yes or no, and you never know if you're actually going to be on until the last minute. And they finally call us with an air date, so um, or not an air date a a, a filming date in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So we went to L.A. and um, then, you know, all this time, the sharks don't know about you. They've never seen you or they haven't heard. They don't know who they're going to see that day. And you show up um, on set with your stuff and you, um, you know, this is the first time you've seen the sharks or even they've even seen you and you just walk out and there you are. And we, uh, you know, show I even had our product under wraps because I didn't want I wanted to just be a, a complete surprise. So. I opened, I, I, um, you know, and unveiled the squatty potty with a, with a blanket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, to get into the, the, the details of this deal that you came in looking for, you end up coming in, or you came in, asking for, I believe, three hundred fifty thousand dollars for five percent of the company. Uh, we'll start yeah. there. How did you, how did you calculate the valuation for, uh, for this deal?
1: So, there's so many ways that you can do that. I figured, you know, we would at least be worth what our revenue was going to be that year, which we figured to be about $7 million. So, I just put a $7 million valuation on it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you ended up, at least on a show, closing a deal with Laurie for $350,000 for 10%. Did that, and you get into as many details as you want here, did that sure. deal end up going through or what was the situation? It did, after? yeah.
1: So, yeah, so it's a handshake deal on the Shark Tank show, right? You just you either take or you or you decline their their offers or they don't give you any offers. We got an offer. We ended up uh doing 10% for uh yeah, it was 10% for 350,000. So I actually wanted let's see here. Yeah, that's what we shook on. Yeah, 10% for 350. And uh, then after that, they have a you know a due diligence period, and you have a period to decide if that's what you really want to do. And most of the sh- most of the deals fall apart during that period. Yeah, uh, we actually ended up you know our books were clean, and she liked us, and she was interested, and and uh, so we we ended up going through with the deal.
0: Nice. Now, when you were preparing to come on the show. What did you do to prepare to, to actually pitch to these you know combined worth of billions of dollars of uh, of uh, investors?
1: So it's so you have one minute that's like a prepared speech, right? That's mm-hmm. that's scripted, essentially, and that's always that one minute pitch where before you know where they walk out with their product and, and uh, share their product with the with the sharks. Um, but then after that, nothing, nothing is um, scripted. So you just re- you just reviewed numbers you'd re- you just you essentially I don't know if you've ever been on debate <laughs> or debated um, mm-hmm. it's essentially just you just do mock practice uh, runs with your friends and family to try and you know you watch Shark Tank and you you just I prepared myself for just doing mock debates or mock uh, d- um, pitches with my family and friends.
0: Now, did anything surprise you? Any questions surprise you on the show?
1: There was no no surprises everything they asked we had already practiced so we were we were pretty prepared i didn't i there was one thing that i kind of took me back and that's when barbara corcoran uh asked me to pit to pull a tarot card and uh i did and um it didn't go very well because i said i'm I'm confused why you're making it a business decision on a tarot card reading (laughs) on a tarot card and she goes oh i don't trust you And uh, so that kind of made me look a little bad.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, I bet this is just an intimidating process too, but you went in there, not just, you got an offer very close to what you're asking for compared to definitely what I've seen on the show. You actually did negotiations. You actually negotiated with, the, the sharks they were I think you negotiated with with Kevin you negotiated um, you know the experience that you had you have with Barbara definitely seems like a standoff and of course the negotiation with Lori. now how what was it like what was it like you know going back and saying essentially no to these sharks and trying to get a better deal for yourself
1: it was like I said it was the scariest thing you've ever done in your life and you and uh, we knew that we didn't want Kevin I don't. I, I in in hindsight, you know, Kevin's not so mean at all. In fact, the people that do deals with him say he's extremely nice, and and he's a teddy bear. Uh, I think that's a persona of his on on uh, yeah, on he the seems show. Seems like that. Um and um, so Lori, we liked her because she had the consumer product, you know, experience. So she seemed like the obvious choice for us when she was, you know, when she was willing to get to where we wanted, and um, you know. She was the obvious choice for us.
0: hmm. Now, now that you work with her, do you, do you have any kind of favorite or most useful business, general business advice that Laurie has uh, given you? It's
1: interesting when you finally get to work with them, you know and you know I, I, I think there were some, some things I, that squatty potty, first of all, was not a traditional product, and to sell it and pitch it in a traditional way didn't really work. So, um, I don't know if, you know, Lori had some, some, uh, contacts and she had some, um, some, some, uh, also some opportunities with trade shows and stuff that became, that were really valuable, but you know, it's been mostly hands off or anything that she's, most of the stuff she's helped pitch us. is not, it's not, it wasn't right for our company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's other than the you know the um, contacts uh, in the retail world. We haven't used her much.
0: Mm-hmm. Now speaking of the, the retail world, uh, you said that you had trouble getting into a lot of these big box retailers until getting on Shark Tank. Until that kind of uh, I guess a voucher from from being on national television. Uh, Bed Bath and Beyond has, has it been a big one for you guys? What was the process like to get into a store like that?
1: So you hear all these stories of retail relations being nightmares, right?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. a lot of there's there is a lot that goes on in getting into to a store. You know, fulfillment and EDI and all these connections that you have to make, and it's expensive. So that stuff is all true. Um, But once you get in, um, you know, if you have a product that goes well, your relationship is it's they become extremely valuable for Mm -hmm. us. And you really need to foster and 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 and, and um, keep those relationships healthy with the, with your with your retailers. Hmm. So it is there is some truth to that in you know the nightmare of working with them. But if it's if, if it's something that it's something that has for Squatty Potty at least has really paid off, and I'm I'm grateful that we were tenacious in, in getting in there.
0: Now, did you have to get introduced into a buyer there? Like, how? What were the first steps that you had to take before getting into a store like that?
1: Sure. So, you need to find a buyer. So, um, we have taken the the, uh, the approach of going direct to the buyer, meaning without a buyer's rep, where possible. You'll generally get a better deal with the with the, and it's it's easier to work with directly with the buyer for us. Um, there have been a few instances where we've used buyer reps, but, um, we just, just do your homework. You can find these buyers on LinkedIn. You can find them, go to trade shows. Um, you know, we we've got introduced a lot of buyers at the houseware show in Chicago or the natural products expo. Um, and if you have a product that, you know, they'll find you as well. They're looking for new products. So, but you have to go where the buyers are. So those would be the inner, you know, the hardware shows. The houseware shows, the gift shows, depending on what your product is, um, natural product uh, shows—they uh, have those twice a year—one in, in um, Anaheim and one in uh, Baltimore. The hardware show in Las Vegas, the houseware show in Chicago—you can search those, and, and and those are where the buyers are. So we went, we went to find the buyers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, makes sense now how, how do you make yourself attractive to to a buyer for them to even take a meeting with you to to show sure. you show the pro- your product to them
1: yeah so you show you show the packaging you show it you show who you are and then you know for us we had we had the secret weapon of online sales so you know we had done millions in sales on amazon and um so we shared that with them saying this is how popular it is and and uh that really helped and then it did and then our ner- our first store that it did really well in Bed Bath and Beyond we used those numbers to get other stores mm. so we would share those we would share with other buyers how it's doing you know in 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 a, every store to help get the to help get them to 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 you know to bite our to bite
0: <laughs> right it is it gives them a lot less risk by showing that there's already success. There's already demand for a product like this, so they don't have to worry about that themselves. Um, now, you know, I, when I first introduced you, I said, of course, uh, that you're the, the first or the original toilet stool. Nowadays, I'm sure that there's competition in the marketplace, right, coming after you guys. Was that something that cropped up pretty quickly after your success? Like, when did you, when or how do you deal with, or what I guess, what's the landscape of the competition like today?
1: Sure. Uh, It's definitely gotten more aggressive. You know, it's, it's a game of whack-a-mole trying to find people that are violating your patents and your, Mm -hmm. your trademarks. Um, so we, um, but we've been, we've been handling it one by one, you know, every day we're on uh, the major websites looking for them and, Um, they're, they're actually brought to us by a lot of people and, uh, it's a, it's a struggle, but it's something that, you know, it's valuable. So we, we take it seriously and we, we, um, we're out there policing our, all the sites where we're at, you know, we actually I even order product from different sites to make sure that it's a legit squatty potty.
0: Mm. Yeah. That, that seems to be cropping up more and more often, not with your product, but just in general, people, uh, selling fake products online on reputable sites too.
1: Yeah, Wish is one of them that that will have that's that's notorious for such, uh, selling knockoff stuff directly from China. So you go to Wish.com, and uh, you see a product that looks like yours, and uh, you order it, and then they find out that it comes in, in. It takes about ten days to get there, but it's shipped directly from the from the uh, counterfeit factory in China. Mm.
0: That's crazy. So now that you uh, you have a patented product, is it pretty seamless process to get it taken down? Or do you just contact that website, show them that you have, you know, the the claim to it, and then they take it down pretty quickly. Or what's what's the process?
1: It is, and you know, there's some actually services out there that help monitor your IP. One of them that we've just started using is called IP Shark. So they'll just charge. They, they have automatic algorithms that monitor and find anything that's fake, like that's on Alibaba or Wish. Or Amazon, or Yahoo, or eBay. I'm sorry, eBay, um, and that seems to be working really well, actually. So it's pretty fairly inexpensive. It's cheaper than having your attorney write um, cease and desist letters, right?
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. So
1: that there are several IP. That the one we've been using is IP Shark. Um, I just started using them though last week, so I haven't seen much of the, you know. But it's it, I, they came recommended from another Shark Tank product called Scrub Daddy.
0: Yes, <laughs> I know that one too. Another memorable contestant is that community pretty tight do you have a lot of connections with uh, other past contestants
1: yeah especially with other products that have done business with lori um we have kind of a familial relationship with them um and other other you know there's some uh private facebook groups of shark tank products and shark tank entrepreneurs on facebook that i'm active in um, yeah, you kind of get in the Shark Tank bubble, and it's the same thing. Everyone's just trying to help you and and, and share their experiences with, and it's everything. It's from fulfillment to marketing, to um, you know, uh, IP stuff. It's everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of fulfillment, what's your supply chain process like today? I'm assuming, uh, of course, you're not making these yourself anymore. How did you? How do you have all of your your products uh, set up?
1: Sure. So we manufacture in Utah. We it's an injection molding process. So we do it very you know, it's just about as cheap as it is in China and much easier for supply chain to manufacture domestically. So if you have a simple product that you can c- competitively get manufactured in the United States, do it because it, it it makes life so much easier, especially in the ups and downs of the retail world. And you know, we would get a we would get a hit like Shark Tank, and if we didn't have uh, if we didn't manufacture domestically, we, we would have lost out in millions of dollars because we were we were you know we weren't prepared for what we were we what our response that we got from Shark Tank or the Unicorn video. Um, the Unicorn video went crazy. We we sold out, you know, within three days, and we would have been you know in deep trouble had we not been a domestic manufacturer. So that's how Squatty it works for Squatty Potty. I realize not everyone can do that, um, but. For our product, domestic manufacturing has worked. Uh, they're all made in Utah, they're shipped to Salt Lake City where we have a, a warehouse, a third party um, fulfillment center who fulfills everyone. They fulfill our, our, our mom and pop stores, they fulfill Walmart, they fulfill Target, Bed Bath Beyond, but they also fulfill Amazon. We have a vendor relationship with Amazon where Amazon writes to purchase orders once a week. And then they also fulfill our website orders, so those will be shipped directly from our fulfillment center in Salt Lake City. It's all done through you know EDI and three, you know uh it's all uh, AP I, you know there's all these acronyms, but um, it's all done automatically essentially. <laughs> so very little, very little effort on our, our part, except for when there's problems, and then we've got customer service. Uh, you know we've got four customer service reps that work full time at Squatty Potty to help with customer. Uh, we've got an 800 number on our site because I think it's always valuable so people have a touch point and be able to contact you. Um, but that's how we work.
0: That's how Squatty Potty works. Cool. So squattypotty.com, of course, is the website. Where do you want to uh, take the business next?
1: Sure. So it's all about creating the better bathroom experience, um, creating products to help people do that. So, you know, we've got an auxiliary product now, Unicorn Gold, which is, which is making up more, uh, starting to take up more and more of our business. It's pretty popular product it's a it's a spray that you spray the water before you go um takes away the sm- the smell uses essential oils but it also uses real nanoparticles of gold which uh, mitigate which mitigate and kill sulfur which is what makes your poop stink so it's an yes. interesting product it works really well <laughs> um, but it's also about you know everything we're we're, we're developing other products that once seemed taboo um, you know the bidet world is growing but we have a unique bidet that's um, that I think is very interesting. That I think will so- that it's going to do really well, and then also some other auxiliary products. The Squatty Potty Pharmacy is coming, um, and these aren't so glamorous, but they're hemorrhoid creams and and uh, other barrier creams to help people be more comfortable down there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome! I'm going to be interested in seeing how you can speak about all of that in. Uh- <laughs> in uh, in advertiser friendly terms.
1: Yeah, it's using our product, our, our our way of marketing to take something that's not so glamorous or it's taboo. To, you know, a lot of people don't know what a hemorrhoid is. They don't know if they have it or not. And they're embarrassed to go to the doctor to figure out. So we're creating marketing that will help people, you know, just address that and then right. provide products to help them feel better.
0: Yeah, I love that you are unashamedly taking advantage not taking advantage but actually going ahead and and coming out and saying hey look we'll teach you everything we'll educate you we'll talk about things that people aren't comfortable talking about because is you know, people are curious. People do want to learn this information. And if, you, if no one else is talking about it, that's a great opportunity for you to come in and do all the talking. So it seems like that's exactly what you've done and exactly where you want to, 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 to market the business. So I'm very excited to see what's next for you guys. Again, squattypotty.com is the website. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Bobby.
1: Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode.
1: Google is the best like psychic in the world, and it understands our behaviors.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.